following classic radio drama is proudly brought to you by theastoundingoutpost.com. If you'd like to help support us, check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash astoundingoutpost. Before podcasting, before the internet, before television, there was radio. The Astounding Outpost presents Classic Radio Pulp. Tarzan of the Apes, brought to you from out the pages of Edgar Rice Burroughs' amazing book. Bless me, Professor. There seems to be someone approaching. Oh, that's that, Philander. How often must I tell you that? But I think I am Mr. a... Mr. Philander, I now find you guilty of a flagrant breach of courtesy in interrupting me to call attention to a mere quadruped of the genus Felix. As I was saying... Heaven, Professor... A lion? If you insist on using slang, yes, a lion. Oh, reprehensible. I shall most certainly report this outrageous breach of ethics to the directors of the adjacent zoological Numa's roar carries to Tarzan as he sits on a low-hanging branch watching the hut. It's the roar of the king beast as he crouches, tawny belly hugging the ground before the steaming muscles propel him in terrific force upon his helpless prey. Tarzan springs to his feet. He leans forward, grasps the tough stem of a trailing vine. His knees bend as he pulls the vine toward him. His feet seem to grip the rough bark of the branch. His strong hands work their way down the vine. He crouches like a sprinter at the mark, and with one glance across the clearing, gauges his distance. He tenses, thrusts himself out into space. In a wide-swinging arc, he crosses the clearing. He lets go. He flies through the air, ten, twenty feet. His arms reach out. He catches another branch, hangs on, drops again, down, down, down. He sees Numa crouch, lips curled back, tiger-like fangs bared. Tarzan feet touch a branch for three seconds. He sees Porter, Philander, straight with terror. They stagger toward a tree. Porter trips. He throws out his arms to catch his balance. He falls. Tarzan, with grace and skill beyond the dreams of any wire walker, runs out the branch. It's only a few feet from the ground. He bends down, drops, catches the branch with his left hand. His right hand shoots out. He grips Porter by the arm, pulls him off the ground. He must feel quickly. Her ears are almost flat against her head. The greenish-yellow eyes gleam viciously. Tarzan lifts Porter to the branch. Satisfied that the professor is hanging on, he reaches for Philander. Numa screams. Philander clutches desperately at the branch. He touches it. The lion is within inches of Tarzan's foot. The ape man feels a hot, pungent breath. The brute's mouth is open. Rasp like tongue pressed hard against gleaming teeth. He snarls. Numa's jaws close with a vicious snap. The coarse, bristling hairs on top of the beast's head brush Tarzan's feet. Tarzan draws his knees up in a level with his chin, swings himself to safety. Back in Tarzan's hut, 
Gene Porter and Clayton are trying to make their jungle home as comfortable as possible. Then over here by the bunk, it is. 
What are you going to use for clothes for? Ah, I have that all figured out. Whoever the previous occupants of the hut were, they had a good supply of carpenter's tools. While this floor is a bit rusty, before this branch I selected, and I think when I finish, yes, yes, I'm quite sure I'll have a perfectly good clothes rack. Now, to work. <laughs> I'll certainly standing up in good stead. <laughs> I could do a much better job if I had some decent nails. Have you used the ones from the packing case? Yes, yes, I have. But after pulling them out and trying to scrape them on rough stone, they bend too easily. Well, I think you're doing wonders. Well, I'm not much of a carpenter, but I guess so, sir. Cool. My, that's warm work, Jay. Yes, uh, yes, yes. What is Look it? Look here. What? Up on this shelf. What? What? So, I'm way up here in this corner. But I didn't know this said before. Book? What sort of book? Well, they're so dusty. But this one looks rather like a diary. Cecil. Look. John Clayton. Lummy. Your uncle, Lord Greystoke? Yes. But how do you come for these things being here in this savage African jungle? Well, there's, there's only one explanation. Instead of being lost at sea, as we have believed he was, Greystoke died here. I wonder what happened to the famous Greystoke locket. What locket? A diamond-studded locket that has been in the family for generations. It was always presented to the bride of a Greystoke at her wedding ceremony. I'm sorry, Cecil. I'm awfully sorry. There seems to be nothing here but the book. Yes. Yes. Of course. Of course. The locket would have been with Lady Greystoke. She was called the beautiful Lady Alice, wasn't she? Yes. I've seen her portrait, you know, in the gallery at the manor. Well, this explains a lot of things and leaves a lot of other things unexplained. Why? What do you mean? I mean, this diary proves conclusively that they were not drowned. What happened to the crew of the vessel? How did Lord and Lady Greystoke come to this place? Were Lord and Lady Greystoke the sole survivors? Or is history repeating itself as it so often does? Did their crew mutiny and put them ashore? Perhaps the diary will tell us. Oh, well. I'd rather think the famous locket has been worn for the last time by the bride of a Greystoke. You've been listening to a classic radio drama proudly brought to you by theastoundingoutpost.com. Help support us by becoming a Patreon sponsor at www.patreon.com/astoundingoutpost.